This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to the Female Red Zone. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Today I'm interviewing Lori Price. Lori is the president and CEO of Price Financial Group. She is been she has been providing financial retirement, estate planning, and wealth management services to her clients in Connecticut and really across the country. She's also earned a certification as a divorce financial planner. Uh, that was in 1998, and she's really developed a, a more specialized focus on guiding affluent women through the transition of divorce or losing a loved one. What is interesting about um, her practice is not only all the things that I just mentioned, but that she's been extremely successful doing this. So she has been recognized as one of the top financial advisors in America, is ranked by Barron's five-star wealth manager, registered rep magazine. And she's going to talk with us today. And I'm really excited about having her on. So thanks, Lori, for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. So, you know, as, as you are a certified financial planner and you talk about financial issues, I mean, you know, as our audience is a lot of women and some men, what do you think, it, you know, are some of the keys? And if there was just one thing, we'd love to simplify it into just one easy thing. But, you know, women are juggling uh, work and kids and college savings and retirement and retirement planning and all of this. What's sort of the secret to making sure that you're you're putting together a good financial success plan for yourself? Well, that's a huge question. Of course. Um, in, <laughs> yeah, right. We all, I mean, I, I live that myself. I have two kids and they're both in grad school right now. Uh, and I've been a working mom my entire career. So I understand the the juggling of it. I think the the, the, the lucky part for some people is when they get a job that has flex time and they can be both, you know, a, a parent, you know, and a full-time employee and make a good living, um, you know, for their family. And also, I think, become a good role model for their kids. Um, we have been, my firm has been doing financial planning since I started. I, I got my CFP virtually the, the soonest I could once I entered the business. I started in the business in 85 after six years at corporate um, with Xerox and GE. And uh, I decided that I wanted to be my own boss and look for something that I could control and have my own schedule. And, and almost right out the, the, the door, I realized I didn't want to be a transaction-based stockbroker, which was very common in 1985, but rather I wanted to help people understand their finances and educate them and give them a perspective on how to, you know, make your, your lifestyle happen. You know, it's, uh, I used to say the, the first thing that your financial planner needs to know about you isn't your assets, it's your spending. And I think that's um, maybe the answer to your question, which is get a handle on your spending and prioritize what you spend your money on. And, um, you know, once you have that handle, then you can do the rest of the work. 
Yeah, and, and that's the part that I think, it, at least myself, I go, well, I don't want to re- really look so closely at all that I'm spending. But if if and when you do, it um, it changes everything, really. Not that you can't go to Starbucks anymore or you can't buy that pair of shoes that you really want. That would be me. Um, but it's just, <laughs> it, it's just kind of thinking about, in perspective, where are the priorities? And uh, you know, in a day-to-day situation, and I'm moving through life pretty fast, as I'm sure that a lot of people on the show are, and you are, Lori, we don't always think about, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. I'm going to do it anyways, you know. So it's just, it's thinking about the spending, and I think that's really great advice. Well, I think if I could zero in on a few things that I think people are overspending on where they can have some control, and I see it with my clients. Uh, we do a lot of, you know, divorce. I've worked on hundred and probably pushing 160 divorce cases in one stage or another. And I have a lot of clients post-divorce that have been clients of mine for, I'm seeing one today was my first divorce client is coming in for her annual review. She's been a client for uh, 18 years. So I've seen the transition from, you know, alimony, child support, putting your kids through school. Now her last one is in college and the others are out. And we've talked about how she could control her spending um, over the years because the of course, her husband would have a job and lose a job, get a new job, not pay alimony, not pay child support. And she was always the rock for her kids, and she always figured a way to manage, you know, manage her expenses. So we have several clients right now. We just had a discussion in the office about this. Um, when you send your kid to the most expensive colleges in the country, which would be the American University and Tufts, and you know, you know what I'm talking about. Right. And, and you don't really have the cash flow to cover it, and you haven't put away the money for college, that's where we're seeing people sabotaging their futures. Um, you know, maybe you have the conversation with your child saying, you know, either you get a scholarship or you go to a, a college that's 44000 instead of 64000 And then because they go four or five years, they go or six years, and they go to grad school. And, and, it, and uh, the other thing, I just had a call this morning from someone asking for help, and there's nothing I can do to help. She has four kids, two in college and two in private school. And they have 120000 of credit card debt hmm. on top of a million-dollar mortgage. They can't refinance again. They can't get the credit card debt down. And I said, how important are the, you know, you live in Fairfield County, all the schools here are great. How important is it that your high school kids are in private school? And that's the thing that is putting them over the edge on their budget. So right, it's not the latte, it's not the shoes. <laughs> that's exact. It's the it's the really big stuff. That that's exactly right. And that that actually happened to us as well. You know, you, you save and save in your five twenty nine, and you go, okay, I got. We have two kids. I've got college set for the kids. Everything's great. And then one goes to prep school, and now you have to cash flow it because the prep school doesn't come out of the 529 and we didn't anticipate that. Now we were able to do it, but it made us change a few things that we were doing saying, does this really have to happen is, you know, and it's just one of those things where in our situation it was the right thing and we could cash flow it. But what if we couldn't, um, there was no savings that was earmarked for that because we didn't know that that was going to happen. And that's very common. And I, I think that's the one place where, People have to make some of the hard, tough love choices. Yes, they're going to do better, but you're going to do worse the rest of your life because you don't have that extra 100000 right. and all the growth that you would have had on it, right? And all the interest you're paying on the debt to have the 100000 right? So it's a trade-off, absolutely. 
Yeah, no doubt. Now, uh, so you worked on 160 divorce cases. What are some things that maybe, you know, women and men um, also can think about to do in it, not that we pl ever plan for divorce, but I'm certain that there's things that can be done that can keep the financial house in order. So if ever a divorce does happen, if you're the woman, you know what's happening. If you're the man, you know what's happening. And it's not such a, I know for women and for several of my friends that have gone through divorce, it's been very tumultuous. And a lot of it has been because of the financial situation that they weren't necessarily aware of. Yeah, again, I wish there was a magic bullet answer for that one. Um, it's the same whether you're going to stay married or get divorced. You have to have a cushion, and you have to make those hard decisions. Do you spend 25000 on a vacation, or do you spend 10000 and put the fifteen away? And believe it or not, we see a lot of people who are budgeting. that. It, that's what it costs to take a family of four away twice a year, right? Yes. You know, with the airfare and the hotel and the car, and, you know, when you add it all up. And um, even I, I, I was just – I have two post-divorce clients right now that I saw Facebook posts for that were both taking their kids to the Caribbean for vacation, yet they can barely make their, their rent. They don't, you know, one owns a place and one rents a place. They don't want to say no to their kids, but they should have had a staycation. Yes. So that's, and again, I'm, I sound like an ogre, but, you know, <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the reality of people are living very long lives. I have a couple clients who have been clients of mine since 1987. He is now, he's turned, just turned 96, and she's turning 98. Okay? When we first met, he's like, you know, I'm not going to live past 85. Well, guess what? <laughs> you know, we did plan for that, and they're in good shape. But people today are living well into their, I have several clients who are in their 90s now, because I've been around a long time. But, you know, that's the other reality, is when you think that, you know, at 65 you're going to retire, you really have to have a nest egg that can last you for a very long time. Well, that's right. And I was reading something about, you know, health and, and wealth. And um, if you have a significant amount of money, you have be you have better access to better doctors, you've got, um, you, you, you know, you basically live longer. And the thing about that is that you go, well, you're wealthy, you live longer, that's fine. Except did you plan for, let's say it's $150,000 a year that you need to live on. Did you plan for 10 extra years of that? or 15 extra years. And they're saying now people could live to a hundred and they're changing those, you know, the actuaries are having to change all these things because people just literally, like you say, are, are, are living longer and living beyond. Now a good financial planners obviously are going to plan out to beyond where um, maybe the client thinks they're going to live, but it's uh, it, it's got to change a lot of the things because uh, 10 years at $150,000 a year, that's a lot. And then put inflation on that. How much is it going to cost you if you're spending principal down, you're not earning as much uh, at the same rate of return because you didn't anticipate inflation or the extra health care expenses. A lot of people are under planning for long-term care because they're, they're needing it longer. The other issue that you we, we, we have these conversations in the office after we do a plan for somebody and we see a number that we're just shocked at. The biggest surprise that I have found in being a planner for 30 years is the cost of dental expenses in retirement. It's not covered, right? It can be anywhere from 10 to 15 to $25,000. And again, that generally wasn't planned for and it's coming out of your principal. So if you're 72 and you have to spend $20,000 for teeth, that's 20,000 that's not earning for you. And it sounds like a small amount, but over time it really does 
build up. Then when you're turning 90, you really are now definitely going into principal. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that either, but um, I, I think about some people in my family that are getting older, and yeah, they're, they're at the dentist, and that's it's a big jump. It's not covered. That's yeah. right. So you mentioned before about you know being a role model for your kids, but growing you know your kids growing up uh, with a working mother who was working and, and successful and everything else. Um, h- how do you think they they look at you today? Because, you know, I look at my own kids and, you know, I was working and doing all sorts of stuff. And sometimes I think they don't know what I do. And then other times I go, oh, my gosh, they totally get it. It was it was all it was all great. But in terms of, you know, how you raised your kids, they saw you working all the time. You know, what do you think their thoughts are about you and about working women and all that? Well, I was fortunate that my husband was um, in the early years. He was in TV and he worked a lot of prime time. He was TV sports and worked a lot of prime time hours so he could be home during the day a lot of time. And and that made a big difference when they were little and then, you know, progressed into different, uh, you know, different jobs. And um, so we always had some flexibility where there was one or the other of us usually around, although they did go to after school uh, daycare when they were younger, uh, which I thought was a good social socialization for an extra couple of hours to keep them active instead of, you know, sitting around, who knows, you know, what video games they'd be playing. Right. But, um, both of my kids have been into the office numerous times with me throughout all of the years. I mean, when they were babies, I came in with them in the stroller if I had to do a signature and it was a day I was going to be at home. You know, they, they've seen me at my office uh, all the time. And I've had my own office now for, oh, wow, about 20, maybe 24 years that I've had my own office where I'm the one paying the rent. So that also, you know, impacts the... Um, you know, their viewpoint, because my name's on the door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, when you say that, I've done the same thing. Sometimes I speak and I've taken my kids to speaking engagements over the years so that they, they don't think that mommy's going on vacation. You know, I'm, I'm leaving, but yeah, I'm right. going to work and this is what I do. And it's, it's hard for kids to understand, I think that, or, you know, why are you leaving? Well, I'm going to the office. Here's what the office is and here's what we do here. But yeah, it's interesting. Right. Now, when you think about um, the, the work that you've been doing with your clients, we've talked about some of the, the negative things, but what about some of the positive things, maybe some charitable endeavors that your clients have been able, or maybe even you have been able to, to be involved in um, because they've been good stewards of their money? Uh, yes, we do have, um, uh, we have several clients that we contact every year about using their IRAs to make charitable contributions. And it's a very favorable. You're, I'm sure your, you know, your listeners are aware of this. But um, for several years in a row, the government waited until the end of December to to approve the usage of IRA money for direct charitable giving. Now it's a permanent law, and so we do have clients that we have been making those contributions because it's a better it's a better tax result even better than, you know, taking some um, appreciated stock. And um, and they tend to be more willing to make larger gifts when they're coming out of an IRA. I think just the way that people view the IRA money is different than they would view their personal accounts. Uh, so that's that's one thing we've done is there's a, you know, we've, we've made an awareness um, that you can use that money. Uh, secondly, I have a lot of clients who are on boards of charities and have asked me to contribute or to sponsor them, and I very willingly do that. Every year, instead of um, sending out gift baskets, we make we, we 
we call a few of our clients and ask them for what charity would they like us to contribute to this year and then we'll give to anywhere from six to ten different charities that our clients have asked us to do versus the you know the muffin baskets or you know right year and gifts to clients and I get a lot of positive feedback on that I've also spoken at conferences um, uh, there was a Connecticut conference a couple of years ago. The Red Cross asked me to speak to a group um, on, you know, women in philanthropy doing good while doing good. Kind of mm. the uh, the understanding of that, you know, giving a dollar to charity might only cost you 60 cents, and um, therefore either you give that dollar or you could give a dollar 50, and it only costs you a dollar, right? So. Um, just trying to explain the the mathematics of charitable giving to women who want to be able to give more, but they don't always understand it. Right, and I know that you've been involved in a lot of not only speaking, but involved in a lot of women's organizations and organizations that support women and girls. What are some of those organizations, and why have you decided to you know commit your time and effort behind some of these? Well, my favorite is uh, called Rock the Street, Wall Street. I don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, they've actually had an article written about them in Forbes magazine. Uh, and um, Maura Cunningham is the um, owner and you know president and uh, philanthropist behind that organization. And it's all started by her in Nashville, Tennessee, to educate women and girls about careers in finance. She, like me, you know, in our early careers, we were the only woman in the room. You know, she was on Wall Street, I was at Xerox, and you look around and you say, why aren't there more women with careers in finance? And it's because of the role model issue and not understanding that you, you don't have to be a math genius to be in finance and to, to do especially personal finance like we do in our office. Uh, so Mora has taken that out, and um, I'm working with another advisor from another firm in our community to try to launch in the fall. Um, I've got, um, I just referred someone in Pittsburgh. Mora already has Chicago, Dallas, New York, Nashville, Memphis. Uh, she's working on San Francisco and hopefully San Diego. So she's got um, local women in finance excited about helping her to bring that education out to girls in high school. She has a very specific curriculum. She she went back to school to get a master's in, um, and I'm not sure the exact title that she got, but it was, it was you know, a, a philanthropic, um, you know, organizational structure. Um, and so she's a good friend, and I'm very excited to be, you know, as involved as I am in, in that program. I encourage everybody to look them up, Rock the Street, Wall Street. Well, I think that's wonderful because there's a lot of, you know, organizations in the technology and engineering and, you know, STEM um, to really encourage women to be a part of that. But there's very few, if any, um, now I know this one, that really are there to encourage girls to get into financial services. I mean, it's a, you mentioned it before, but it's a flexible, it can be a flexible career um, where it's really good actually for women and it's uh, it, it, it has so many benefits in terms of it's not just you don't have to be really, really excellent at statistics to be good as a financial advisor. You have to be a good listener. You have to be able to understand um, what people are saying. And then, you know, you can get training on financial planning and some of these other things, but it, it really is a wonderful career. So I'm definitely going to check that out as well and, and check out the Chicago organization because that's where I'm at. Uh, Chicago, I believe, was... Uh uh, TD Ameritrade um, was this was the local sponsor. So, 
um, kudos to them for that. We did host, there's a local organization called Investing in Girls. We did host them. They contacted me about coming down to my office. And I, I think you know that I'm an all-woman firm. Um, one of those, uh, you know, what, what's, a, what's a risk that I took early in my career questions was to decide to stay as an all-woman firm, which really limited me on the talent pool that I could choose from. Um, we're in a county that's geographically, you know, bordered by water on one side, and we have the New York border on another side, and we have traffic issues. So I have a very small talent pool by just narrowing it to women. But we created an environment here that one of my clients dubbed us hugs, not handshakes. <laughs> and we have a lot of single divorced and widowed women and single women clients, and we give everybody a hug, and um, we do a Valentine's Day party where everybody gets a hug going in and a hug going out on Valentine's Day. And, um, you know, I just really enjoy educating women about finance, and uh, we're actually launching a program. We have an advisory board we put together that's coming in on Wednesday to help us reach out more to the community so that when we run our educational programs that are free, we can, we can reach more of the women locally, not just divorced and widowed women, but all women. You know, eight, what's the statistic? 85% of all women die single? It's a big yes. number. Yes. So you really, you really need to know about finance. So that's one of our initiatives that we're literally in the throes of putting together right now. And, um, and, and you mentioned Candace Spar before. We, um, we do second Saturday workshops here. We've been doing them for about two years. And that's, again, I think a community outreach where we, we have a financial advisor, a therapist, and a either lawyer or mediator. Um, and we have about a four-hour workshop uh, where we, uh, it's an open forum, we give a presentation on each of those areas, and then the women who come can ask whatever questions they want. We get anywhere from, I'd say, four to 15 attendees, uh, and we get tremendous feedback and thank yous. You know, these are not always well, some of the women are very wealthy, and some of them are um, in desperate need of getting free advice from qualified people. So again, that's a community outreach that we are doing as a firm. Yes, and for for the audience, Candace Barr is a was a previous interview that we did, and um, check it out because she talks about this second Saturday uh, event that Lori's talking about, and it's just it's really very amazing. And in fact, you know everything that you've talked about, uh, you know, having an all woman firm and sticking to that, you know, it's it's hard, but sometimes we have to stick to our guns and this is what we want this firm to be, especially with the types of clients that you're serving. And I think that the work you've done is excellent and in your involved involvement in charity. How can people find out more about your organization uh, online? Well, it's www.pricefinancialgroup.com. We have a Facebook page that I would encourage you to like. We post weekly uh, articles. Um, again, it's, it's, generally women-oriented, not always, um, but we, we hope to be providing good content for people who want to know about personal finance on our Facebook page. You can always Google me. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're, we're um, and actually, we're, we're about to uh, rework our website. Um, we're adding a few more. I would say I, I just brought on uh, another young advisor who was an estate attorney originally, and um, we want to add uh, special needs planning 
and family office uh, services that she's had exposure with that, um, you know, beyond working mostly in the divorce and retirement space, but really going, you know, beyond that now that we have more talent on board in our firm. We're also bringing another advisor on in a few weeks who has a specialty in divorce planning. Well, it's wonderful. I mean, your growth is inspiring. You and the work you're doing for women is inspiring. Thank you very much for being on the show today, Laura. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And from the Female Red Zone, this is Mary Beth Kazmeski. Thanks for listening to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>